Welcome back to Focus. I'm Ron Cisco, and it's good to have you back. You know, one of the things that I think everybody struggles with is at least some form of performance anxiety. I personally don't suffer from stage fright myself, but it's always uh, very weird to me to get involved in a new crowd that I'm not familiar with the dynamics of. If I'm just showing up for the first time, uh, not, not necessarily like shooting matches anymore, but the first shooting match gave me a lot of anxiety because I didn't know what the etiquette was. I didn't know uh, how to be um, safe. Nobody had taught me those things. Nobody was, you know, posting a guide about those things. Same thing with like a motorcycle ride. I'm, I'm not really ready for that to go on a motorcycle ride with 60 other people because I don't, I don't know what the rules are and I don't know how to be safe. It's hard. It's hard. Um, it's hard to find yourself the first day in, in a new situation with new people and, uh, and not know the rules. And hopefully, if you're smart enough to introduce yourself as, uh, as a first-timer, uh, even though it will probably give you a couple of, uh, a couple of opportunities to be made fun of, you can, you can kind of get over that hump and, and become part of that, that little uh, the niche, that community. And I know I said I was lucky. I know that I'm in a very fortunate position to not experience that feeling over and over again. I don't mind being called up to perform. I love public speaking. And uh, and when it comes to demonstrating something that I'm not particularly good at, I have no qualms about doing it, especially when I have the opportunity to learn more. It's it's a privilege. More than anything else, it's a privilege to have to have that those opportunities, to not have to worry about what everyone is thinking 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But I know that not everyone is that way. I know that there are some people who, despite being the top of their class in whatever it is that they're doing, still get that gut-wrenching feeling whenever it's their chance to perform. I know that they, uh, they, they toe the line, and just before the buzzer goes off, the, the feelings just eat away at them. And some, for some of those people, for some of those people, that goes away. For, for other people... Uh, I, I've known some musicians who, despite being absolutely amazing musicians, would feel absolutely sick from the day before the performance all the way until a couple hours after the performance, reanalyzing every missed note, reanalyzing every every wrong breath or wrong stroke of the, the bow. And, and that's that's got to be terrible. I know that when I go and, and perform... Um, at a shooting match, or if I if I go take a motorcycle ride, uh, one of the first things that I think is that I'd like to record those things. Number one, because if I make a mistake or if something happens, I want it documented. Um, I, I learn from myself better than anyone else. I know that I'm harder on myself than everyone else is, and that uh, usually when I walk away from a shooting match or uh, I walk away from a from a, uh, a motorcycle ride, I feel really good about it. I've, motorcycling. Um, being on a motorcycle and, and going shooting are two things that center me in, in, in my ways, uh, the, the feeling of just being able to let me back up for a second. I'm going to shortlist this. Uh, the being on a motorcycle is, is something surreal for me. It doesn't matter how bad a mood I am or, or how intent I am on something. The minute I get on a motorcycle, my mind is clear. And I know that one of the things they always tell you to do is have a clear mind before you get on a motorcycle. But I think it's a little bit different for me in that regard. I know that it's not that way for everybody, and, and this might be dangerous for most people, but the minute I get on a motorcycle, literally everything going on in my life has just stopped. And all I can think about is the feeling of, of being on the bike, 
getting my turns right, making sure acceleration's in line, not adding lean angle when I'm adding acceleration. All of the all of the important safety things are there. And I know that that those things are going to turn out well for me because I'm paying so much attention to them. So if I'm going to a grocery store, more than likely I will have written some sort of list on Google Keep because there's no way I'm going to remember the the grocery list. No matter how short, I'm going to forget something important off of that list because I'm so concentrated on being on the road. To a lesser extent, that's still the case when I'm I'm on the firing line. Uh, when When the buzzer goes off, one of the things that I've been really trying to concentrate on is making sure that I have a battle plan uh, set to go before the buzzer goes off. The first few times I went to a shooting match, the buzzer went off and I forgot everything I was doing and I just started shooting. And that caused me to lose time because I was always getting caught off guard by uh, a slide lock or, or, or reload or, or something along those lines. I still have issues, but but that's not to say that that I'm not getting better at it. I, I mildly hyperventilate before the buzzer goes off because I want to slow down my heart rate. And I draw my pistol and I line up my sights and then I just let everything go. And that's from the moment I pull the trigger the first time to the moment I holster my weapon. All of that is almost purely muscle memory. When I was in high school, I used to love singing. I still love singing. I just don't do it publicly anymore. But I used to love being in, in front of a crowd. I used to love performing music. And, um, and I remember thinking almost nothing about the performance. I remember I would uh, perform, like pr- practice and, and, and rehearse and, and make sure that everything was right and, and always try to kind of prepare a little surprise. I remember it backfired exactly one time, but from all of those other performances, all it mattered was I showed up and that the performance just happened. It was, it was all muscle memory. I knew what was going to happen from day one because this is how I practiced it. And I can thank, actually, wow, I can't even remember her name, but it was my, my uh, orchestra teacher in sixth grade, seventh grade, seventh grade, um, who, who taught in the German style, and I wish I could remember her name. And I remember that we would try to play music. We would start playing music. And then, you know, in, in all of the years before, because I'd started in second grade uh, playing a viola, and all the years before, whenever you made a mistake, you stopped, you started again, and then you tried to fix it. And what she always said was, you're going to play what you practice. And so when you practice stopping, when you make a mistake, when you make that mistake again live, you're going to stop. And that's not what you want. And so we always played through our mistakes and then marked it down, came back and tried to fix it. And that has been absolutely what I have taken away from. Uh, that's just been so important for me. I wish I could tell her. I should really look her up and see if what she's doing today because I, I wish I could tell her. I took a brief recess just now to Google it. Um, unfortunately, the school that I went to for middle school has been closed due to uh, asbestos. <laughs> which is always wonderful to find out, right? Uh, she's So uh, I, I'm never going to be able to find her name again. And I remember uh, quite a few things about her, but she was just so full of energy and she was so full of, of just excitement about music. She wanted us to love music as much as she did. It wasn't about, about performance. It was about the passion there. And, and just to be able to learn that lesson so early that, that what you practice is what you will perform changed my life and uh and i wish i'd kind of done more with that knowledge 
but it's definitely driven every every expectation I've ever had because it's true every time every time we went to choir every time uh, if we went if I played chess because I used to play chess um, I, I acting and uh, and now sports shooting being on a motorcycle what you practice is what you will perform and so people ask me if I ever got stage fright, and the answer is no, because uh, I knew that what I was practicing is what I would end up performing on stage. And, uh, and sometimes you have to wing it. <laughs> sometimes you have to wing it. But if you don't have a good sense of humor about those kinds of things, then, uh, then you're going to be in for a, a disappointing, disappointing ride. Maybe loving, loving discourse from beyond that, uh, I took improv classes uh, a couple years ago and it was actually a wonderful time I had a great time I don't think I took improv as seriously as some of the people who who I went to, to class with but I know that um, going to the classes kind of helped me unleash uh, a thought process one of the things about improv is that you will constantly say yes to yourself and uh, one of the best things about improv is that you will surround yourself with people who say yes to you it seems contradictory to be in love with the idea of, of that, that, that aspect of performance, that what you practice is what you will perform. But the truth is, it, it still exists in the improv arena. Uh, having, it's, it's almost a muscle that you have to flex when it comes to, uh, to, to in, inventing content on the fly, if you will. Um, but also the trust that you have with the people around you. The best of us in improv don't worry about what our partners will say. The best of us in improv will look at our partners and have absolute faith that because we are on the sta same stage, that we are on the same level. And I say that as a person who loves the performance aspect of improv. I know that, that it doesn't always work out. And honestly, when you're an audience member, the best parts of improv are when it doesn't work out. The best moments in all of the performances I've ever seen... Uh, especially with with such a lively improv uh, world like like what exists in Minneapolis, uh, especially with the friends that I have who are are still performing in that market, that um, that the the magic in that moment when something goes wrong is what you look for in improv. And that that seems crazy, doesn't it? But it's true when you're when you're working in improv. There are three types, three main types of people. Uh, if you're not familiar with the, uh, the theory behind it, there's the pirate, the robot, and the ninja. And the pirate is a person who, who makes these sweeping statements and they, they bring energy and they, they, they are the ones who create this ridiculous world. Whatever it is that you happen to exist in at the time in improv, they're the ones who, who build the world for you. And, and it seems, it seems kind of strange to think about because it all everything that comes out of these people's faces is ridiculous but then you have the robot and the robot is largely lo logic based they usually play the straight humor they're the ones who who construct the world the world has been built for you but they're, they're the ones who are maintaining the rules they they make it reasonable enough that they create the reality around it and that's why you can immerse yourself in it and then you have the ninja who is capable of switching between the roles and they're really kind of the ultimate support hand they can help support the robot or they can help support the pirate 
And by flipping between the two of them, because you already have those other two elements, that person can become kind of a gray area. They can be the person you lean on for a little extra enhancement when it comes to uh, a little more energy, when it comes to a little more ridiculousness, uh, supporting the ridiculousness that comes through with improv. And they are also the person who can help keep the walls up and uh, and make sure that whatever reality we've constructed here stays a reality because it's now justified between two people and not just one. When those three people work together, or a group of people who assume those roles, when those people work together, there is a trust and an ebb and flow to the performance that just, it doesn't seem to make sense, but in the moment, it's all you can be enthralled with. It's it's in, it, it's rapturing. It's It just... You, you are overcome by the desire to live in that world. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. But it doesn't come without rehearsal. I think one of the reasons that people find themselves so drawn to improv is that there is a, a matter of performance without embarrassment. There's, uh, there's definitely ways that improv can go wrong, but we all laugh it off at the end, especially since most of us get wrapped, wrapped up in the, uh, the comedy aspects of improv rather than the more serious ones. And that's not to say that serious improv doesn't need to exist, because it does, and it's very helpful, especially in a creative process. Writing drama or or brainstorming. Improv, just in general, has a wonderful place in, in all kinds of creative fields. But it also allows you to skirt the responsibility that comes with performance. When you perform music live, there's a responsibility to honor um, whatever it is that you happen to be playing, whether it's uh, someone else's composition or your own, uh, the thought that you should perform well and that you should give the audience a good show and that, that you'll want to do it in a manner that's satisfactory to everyone. Because when you're disappointing, then then people people walk away disappointed. The expectation creates obligation. The same thing that happens uh, when you go uh, perform Shakespeare is everyone is now hyper-analytical of what your performance is saying. People will say, oh, well, that was a very interesting interpretation of Hamlet's soliloquy. I've never heard it performed that way before. And then you're going to have to ask yourself, is that a compliment? And if you're a serious actor, it might be. Or is that a complicult? Which is the term that I'm stealing from community, where they make it seem like a compliment, but it's an insult, or vice versa. As a content creator, I think one of the um, the hardest aspects of anything you do is deciding that you are ready to share whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, we have we have the opportunity to to rethink our things all the way up until they're published, because when they're published, they become final. And thankfully, it's not as final as it used to be, and we can always update them or pull them down and put them back up. And uh, as long as we're not too famous then no one else is archiving them and then waving them in our faces. But the truth is, finality comes with the decision to publish something. What we haven't gotten used to now, though, is that everything you do and say has the opportunity to be a publishing of, so of sorts. When you go on record saying something, even on your Facebook, that could come back to haunt you years later. And... And that's kind of that's a kind of a crazy thought for people who grew up without that environment. Honestly, between you and me, one of the things that I most fear has nothing to do with stage fright, but it does relate to performance anxiety. I don't I don't like the publish button. 
when I first started streaming on Twitch, uh, the the go live button was one of the things that I feared just in in a way that I couldn't explain. And I wanted to stream. I liked streaming. I like I like playing games, and that's actually not the whole reason I stream. It's one of the reasons that I stream is that I like the community relationship that I have with with the people that I've gotten to know through streaming and and beyond. And, and being able to build friendships and we can have fun. We can do crazy things. And I know that they're not going to play these games or if they did play those games that I'm playing them differently than they are. And we can have a good laugh about that. But it was still strange. It still is strange to hit the go live button to wonder if anybody's going to show up. To wonder if anybody's going to show up and tell me that I'm bad at something. To wonder if anybody's going to show up and, and say something nasty. Those are, those are hard thoughts to get past. Unfortunately, they're also grounded in reality. The moment you get any measurable amount of attention on the internet, you're going to have someone attempt to cut you down. And honestly, I don't understand why. Uh, This last Monday, I almost got into an accident on my motorcycle. And uh, it's not not anything outside of the normal. In fact, if nothing else, it didn't involve another, another driver. So uh, it was probably a lot safer than most of the accidents I almost get into. But in this case, I decided to share it with, uh, with somebody I look at as an internet mentor, Dan Dan the Fireman, a person who tries to preach positivity, but also goes over uh, accident uh, after action reports, he calls them, which is, I think is a wonderful idea. One of the things that I tried to do as soon as I got uh, the motorcycle bug was watch thousands, hundreds to thousands of videos of people getting into accidents of motorcycles because I wanted to understand what people were doing wrong and not repeat those mistakes. Honestly, I was proud of my performance. Um, I, you, know, you, you spend a lot of time studying and practicing for the moment just in case it happens, hoping that it will never happen. But in this case, it did. Um, a, uh, I don't know what happened, but a couch cushion was in the middle of the, the road. It was under construction. I didn't have a shoulder to work off of. Uh, well, I mean, I did from a motorcycle's perspective, but like I didn't have a real shoulder to work off of. We were uh, coming up to an on-ramp, so it was something I was aware of. And, uh, and the car in front of me suddenly swerves out of the way and I see it and I've got probably four car spaces, you know, full, full car lengths is what I'm trying to say in between me and the car, because I like to leave a little extra space. People don't understand that riding a motorcycle means you brake a lot less quickly than you would on a car. The truck in front of me swerves, makes a, a, a quick left swerve. It wasn't anything too dramatic, but definitely enough to get my attention. And I was already paying attention to him because it's what you do on the road. It's actually pretty exhausting. If you're currently driving and you're not tired of watching the car in front of you, you're probably doing it wrong. But I'm paying attention to him and I'm paying attention to the cars coming up on me and I'm uh, always keeping an eye on what my left lane looks like, and I'm always keeping an eye on what the on-ramp looks like, because too often people will just not pay attention to you and, and just barrel into you when they're getting on onto the on-ramp. Um, but I see this car swerve in front of me, and I can't identify the object in the road. But as I get closer, I realize it's, it's a, a couch cushion. Before that, I look in my rear views, uh, because my right mirror is really positioned more like a rear view mirror at this point. And, uh, and I check the left lane. I check the left rear view mirror. I see that it's clear. I flick on my turn signal. I had enough time and my reaction was fast enough that I could flick my turn signal on. 
and I got from position one on that lane to position two, I would say, in the next lane. And then I flicked my turn signal and got back in, into the lane. And hopefully nobody was following me too close because the people behind me seemed to be uh, aware of, of my, my evasive maneuver as well. And, uh, and I believe that they got around it as well. It was, it was uh, an exciting moment, not in a good way. And, uh, and I had to uh, kind of recompose myself. So I took myself back to closer to the shoulder and uh, slowed down a little bit. Kind of recalculated my life briefly. Because uh, when, when that truck passed it, that couch cushion flipped up. If I had hit the couch cushion, I wouldn't have rolled over it. I would have hit it straight on. And I probably would have gotten into a pretty bad, bad accident. I think I was doing 55 or 60 miles an hour at the time. Dan, for his part, said, uh, this is exactly what I would have done. So good. Do you have the full HD video of this? I want to do an after-action report, which to me is a hell of a compliment. Uh, here's a guy who dedicates himself to, uh, he's not just a fireman and, a, and an EMT. He, uh, he actually dedicates his spare time to helping people learn how to ride motorcycles most, more safely. He's, uh, he's an instructor with um, MSF, if you're familiar with the Motorcycle Safety Foundation. He's an instructor there, and he does some uh, off-site off stuff. He, you know, he, he teaches people, he meets up with people, and, um, and, and just in general, he wants, he wants to save lives. He wants to make sure that people are riding safe. And so he, he even shared it with his, uh, his followers. He said, uh, perfect evasion, perfect evasion, which was just a wonderful compliment. No joke, not even five minutes later, somebody responded to his comment, perfect evasion. He said, nice basing, but wrong lane choice. Since it looked like it was a divided highway, you should have been in the left lane if legal. View wouldn't have been blocked by the leading vehicle, which is just, just incredible. I mean, not only does it demonstrate just, you know, uh, ignorance of most, most etiquette on the highway, but a lot of states have laws. I know they, they mentioned should have been in the left lane if legal, wrong lane choice. Like it's, it's not, it's not a constructive criticism, right? It's an attack. Wrong lane choice. Wrong lane choice came first. Didn't even need to be there. Should have been in the left lane if legal. If possible, could have been in the left lane. Something like that. But no, this this person just needed to come out and say something with a negative slant. And the problem is that so many of us kind of start that way. I personally don't care. I get it all the time. It's not a big deal. But this is what most people are up against when they decide to share something. When they when they create something for public consumption, the first thing that anybody's going to do when they get a hold of it is criticize it. And it, it can be heartbreaking. I remember the first time I went live on, on stream, zero people showed up. I was playing Mass Effect, uh, which is one of my favorite games. And, um, and I didn't expect anybody to show up. But, but zero people. Zero people. And why would they show up? No one was following me. I was just, you know, one of three people in the Mass Effect area. And um, you, would, you would have had to be looking for something, right? They say networking is so important to the streaming, and it's true. It's true. I don't do my share of networking, honestly. But putting yourself out means that you have to deal with the consequences of something. And honestly, I would have, I would have been better off. I would have felt better with someone attacking me. Because it, in my perspective, I know that when someone is negative toward you, at least they're paying attention. But some people can't handle that. What broke my heart was no one. 
was there. The problem with negativity is that it feeds negativity. The problem with, with the, un, understanding that your expectation of negativity is, is reasonable is that it makes you all the more not want to share what it is that you have to offer. I know that one of the things that's kind of holding me back on my, um, my video project is that I just can never find the perfect opportunity to film. It's been a busy couple days and it's been raining almost nonstop. And I, I, part of me thinks that I need to just bring my camera with me uh, on this ride, the Three Sisters ride that I'm supposedly taking tomorrow again. And, um, and I, I think that maybe that's the only way I'm going to get it done is just to, to shoot it and deal with how imperfect it is. And, uh, and hopefully that will be enough. But at the same time, it, it breaks my heart to, to leave it that way. I want it to be perfect knowing that when I share it, someone is going to have something negative to say about it. The truth is, constructive criticism can be useful. I know that with myself, being negative helps me implant the, uh, the, the, the change that I need to make. It's, it's now dug into my brain. Now that I've beaten it in with, with a hammer and nail, I will not forget that when I draw my pistol, I will put the sight on the target before pulling the trigger. This seems so obvious, but your first thought is, I have now wasted a second. So how do I get the time back? You will never get that time back. You must put the sight on the pistol onto the target before you pull the trigger. It seems like such an easy lesson to learn, but it's something that I have to hammer myself about very often. In the world of competition shooting, when someone gives you a piece of advice, you have two options. Number one, you will take it, or number two, you will discard it. And uh, what, uh, thankfully, you know, shooting in the novice leagues, people are very, very helpful with advice. Um, they're not, they're not afraid to help out when they can, or even if they can't. And and they don't take it personally when you don't take the advice. But what's important is that the criticism comes from a good place. The criticism comes from a good place because they want to see you perform better. They don't care about being right. I know it sounds like I'm taking it personally, but it's just a, such a good example. Nice spacing, but wrong lane choice. That, that wasn't a person who, who, who wanted to be constructive. This is a person who wanted to be right. Despite the fact that they don't understand anything about the situation. They didn't, they didn't pay attention to the fact that there was construction going on. They don't, they don't worry about what, what the effects of being in the left lane would have been. That I'm driving right around the speed limit that you don't go in the left lane unless you're passing. I mean, in, in pretty much anywhere in the United States, unless the, the highway's full, you stay out of the left lane unless you're passing and all for what? So I can look for a piece of couch that definitely shouldn't be on the street. This is a person who wanted to be right. And so would cut you down for no reason. One of the things that I get quite a bit when I play a game on Twitch, especially one that's popular, uh, I'm not going to do it well. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to do it well. And it's not something I'm afraid of, and it's definitely not something I'm uh, afraid of getting comments on, because I get comments on it quite a bit. You're playing that wrong. You should have done this differently. You're not good at this. <laughs> okay, thanks. It's a video game, bro. But it's it's just amazing to see you know that attitude come from people. They don't know you. They don't know what your experience is. Only that you're not as good at the game as, as they are. 
and this is what they're doing with their time. Now, again, I say that this is something that doesn't really bother me. It doesn't. One, one of the things that bothers me is not being able to put out the product that I wish I could put out. And that's what I struggle with is a personal performance measure. But what does bother me is that there are so many people out there with so many brilliant ideas. So many people out there with, with a spark, just something so different musically from an art perspective, maybe, maybe a podcast that someone's afraid of putting out there. There's so many people out there who will be destroyed by the first time somebody decides they needed to be right instead of constructive. It's been a little while since, since I've said this, but Focus is a Patreon-supported podcast, and I want to thank you for your, your attention and your listening and, and, uh, and actually some of your opinions. I've had some really great conversations in the last couple of weeks about what's been going on in the podcast and the subject matter and, and just some, some of the general feelings. Uh, this one came about because I posted a video um, on, on Twitter. And, uh, and somebody responded that way. And it kind of got me to thinking about like what it is about media that, that, that's kind of crazy. It's something that's been then boiling over over time. As I've noticed a few of my friends start venturing into the YouTube playground and, uh, and kind of create a, a space for themselves, as it were. It's hard. It's hard. The truth is most of us won't be successful in anything we do. But, but it's a creative endeavor, endeavor and, and it's just so important to be able to take the, the chance to, to, to express yourself. And it's difficult because it's so difficult to find something that, that is unique to your own perspective, that, that is something that isn't exactly the same thing over and over again. I know that if you're into pistol shooting at all, that there are 50,000 videos on how to grip your pistol and shoot it. And, uh, and none of them tell you the fundamentals of doing it correctly. They just tell you how they're doing it. And, uh, and, it, and it's just kind of sad to kind of see that cloud of, of exactly the same information happen over and over again. So in, in that way, I want to thank uh, The Recovered Feminist um, on YouTube, if you're not following her and you're into makeup tutorials, uh, it, or, or just makeup in general. Uh, this is a person who has had some... Um, uh, kind of you know rough times in their life and they they they're in recovery and and making some great strides for themselves as a person and and just finally finally expressing the things that they want to express and I think it's wonderful it's absolutely wonderful to be this person's friend uh, so thank you for the conversation and it really helped me kind of form my my opinions and my beliefs and um, maybe not beliefs but my my stance on uh, kind of what I, what I said here so thank you. I also want to thank Vigilante, The White Prince, Anastasia Beaverhausen, and Enrique Ramos for your continued support Patreon, on Patreon. And just in terms of um, being able to, to feel like I'm supported as a, as a creative person is, is wonderful. And, and it, it is kind of weird, too, because it's, it's such a different stance to be here and talking about something. Especially something as near and dear into my heart as being able to express yourself. Um, it's not to say that nobody should be with without or anybody should be without criticism, but it's just it's just kind of crazy to see how hard we are on people, especially when they're brand new. And just as it's important to me, if uh, if you decide that you have anything to say about that, maybe I'm very wrong, or maybe uh, maybe maybe you agree with me very very much. You can hit me up at ron at focusbycisco.com or go to the website focusbycisco.com 
say anything you might want to say. The comments are always open, though nobody uses those comments. Usually I just get uh, directly hit up in <laughs> indirect messages um, on Twitter or on, uh, on Facebook, and that's fine too. You can find me on Facebook. My name is Ron Cisco. There's only a couple of us, and, uh, and only one of us has uh, as much melanin as I do. But on the other sides of things, if, if you decide you want to share with this with someone, I hope that you do so because it meant something to you and not just because you think they need to hear it. Because that's important. That's really important to me. I'd like to connect to you first. I'll see you when the plot requires it, which will hopefully be next week. Until next time, be excellent to each other.